Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Work Happy, the new podcast all about workplace happiness brought to you by WorkLife with me, journalist Angelica Malin. This season, we're going on a journey to dig deep into the secrets of workplace happiness with advice from experts, entrepreneurs, and coaches in the field. Zadi is a behavioural change specialist and author of The Kindness Method, a bestseller which has been translated into five languages. She started her career in the NHS before setting up her private practice. Her therapeutic approach is influenced by her frontline addiction treatment work in clinical, community and prison settings. And she specialises in working with her clients to break bad habits before they get out of control. Her approach helped her to personally lose eight stone in weight, improve her self-esteem, and help her manage a range of unwanted habits around food and negative self-talk. She runs sell-out workshops in London and is regularly asked to speak publicly on behavioural change, mental health, and addiction. I'm joined today by Sharia Zadi. Thank you so much for joining me. Can you tell me firstly a bit about the work that you do? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm a behavioural change specialist and I help people to create new habits that they're happy with and gain some insight into why they're finding it difficult to change their habits. How did you get into this line of work? Um, I studied psychology and then I went on to do placements in addiction treatment and started to work in the NHS and um, for substance misuse services and I started learning a lot about the motivational tools that we're using in addiction treatment and what I did was start to apply them to myself with my day-to-day habits because I noticed that you didn't necessarily need to be a drug addict to find these really simple tools effective they were just motivational tools for behavioral change and so I started creating little workshops and trying things out on myself and with my friends etc and um, eventually I took um, what I knew from I was a consultant eventually um, training staff um, in the NHS etc and I took what I knew to the School of Life and I asked them whether I could pilot a workshop there that was just called Making Changes That Last, I think. And they very cleverly put it on in the third week of January. <laughs> Where <laughs> everyone wants to change. Yeah, I have since realized that that's what, probably my busiest week of the year. Yeah. And it did really, really well. And I got contacted by a journalist who said, look, I want to drink less, but I don't want to stop drinking altogether. Can you help me? And I helped her and um, I helped her for 12 weeks. We just met up for a coffee every week and I sort of, I used the same thinking that I had used on my own eating habits because throughout my life I had 
gained and lost masses of weight and really abused food in a way that was quite cruel and unkind and I had a lot of negative internal dialogue. And I realized that if I wanted to learn how to manage food, I always had to be around it anyway. Um, and so I, I had to become really self-aware and build all sorts of different kinds of resilience if I wanted to change my behaviors around something that had to be around every day, all day. Mm. And so I applied the same thinking to her drinking and I helped her to find a moderate way of drinking the same way that I had found a moderate way of eating after lots of all or nothing behaviors before. And she wrote an article one day and I woke up and I had hundreds of emails. So that weekend, I quit my job, set up a website, got a therapy room, and then one of those emails was from a literary agent. So I, and long story short, I got a book deal. Did you have a sense when all this stuff was happening of the kind of destination and where you'd like to be, or was it kind of intuitive and you were just going with the flow? To be honest with you, I felt so lucky and it was so out of the blue. I still don't really believe it's all happening. And at the beginning, I had to take it one day at a time. I still kind of do because it is really overwhelming. Mm. And it's also strange because I had reached quite, um, I had really established myself in healthcare, in health and social care, where I was helping um, inform policy. I was writing bids and working with commissioners. And now I've gone into well-being and talking about talking to the press and doing interviews and people taking photographs of me and all sorts of things that never never really mattered. So I've gone into an entirely new career and I'm learning a whole new set of terminology and just starting from the beginning really. So I would say um, I still can't really believe it's going on to be honest. How do you like build your confidence up whilst this is all happening? Because I can imagine it is quite overwhelming. Like you recently did Sweaty Betty Live and there was like mm -hmm. over five hundred people there for your talk. Mm -hmm. Did you have a moment where you were like, What is going on? Or, or does like does the confidence just come? I think there's a sense of integrity that I have because I've used this stuff on myself. Mm. And bear in mind I also have a stammer, as I I think you know. And so I have to really be confident in what I'm saying or my body lets me down, you know, it really does. I have to know what I'm talking about. And I think I feel very lucky to have come from a place that everything was really rigorous and academic and evidence-based. And um, I used to moan about the bureaucracy and now I'm quite grateful for it to have come into this that way. Mm. So I don't, um, at the risk of sounding arrogant, I guess, I don't really focus on um, content as much as delivery now. I have the luxury of being able to do that and just react when I sit down and be able to engage with an audience or engage with one person in pretty much the same way um, because I am genuinely living and breathing what I um, mm. what I ask other people to try out and it is working for me so I do genuinely feel passionate I used to hate sales for example whenever I was in a sales role people would say you know just making money at university or whatever I absolutely hated it I hated thinking that I had to sell something to people and now for the first time in my life I have no problem saying to people, this works, I'll back it, no problem. Because yeah. I'm. it's working on me and I was one of the toughest nuts to crack, I guess. Right, and this stuff is a constant journey. You don't get to a place where you are just kind to yourself. It's a, it's a journey where every day you're having to perform it and you're having to live it. So it's, it's you're using these tools in your daily life, I suppose, so that helps you like facilitate that message. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think also to think that we're ever finished with this stuff is maybe to suggest that we have, we needed fixing. And mm. I'm, a, I'm a real believer in that we don't need fixing. Um, and that, yeah, we're never done. It's always just a case of wanting to feel a little bit better. Yeah. Um, which is a, a totally 
cool thing to want, I think. Totally. Can you tell me a bit more about your personal journey? So you, you said that you kind of lost and gained a lot of weight over a number of years. Mm-hmm. And then it was finally like the tools of the kindness method that helped you lose that for good. Yeah, so I, my whole life had issues with, with my weight um, in that... I was binge eating and then dieting and starving myself and basically trying to lose weight in these really extreme, cruel ways, many of which I won't even mention because I don't want anyone else to be encouraged, but, or not encouraged, but you know what I mean, mm. I don't want to get any ideas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I, um, yeah, I never f- quite cracked it. I never understood why I felt so out of control around food. I never understood why so much of my worthiness was wrapped up in how I looked. Um, I was always living life on hold. Everything everything good was going to happen when I'd lost weight. I wouldn't even listen to nice music sometimes because I thought, no, save that. You don't want to associate it with the time when you're overweight. Mm. And what I learned from working with people in addiction is that it becomes far easier to achieve your goals when you make kindness to yourself unconditional, regardless of whether you achieve your goals. Mm. And I remember I had a counseling session once. Um, it, granted, it was because I, I wasn't getting getting over heartbreak as quickly as I would have hoped. And I thought, there's, there's more to this, really. Um, this has brought up more difficult stuff for me. And so I went into counseling. And as with everything that I approached at that time and throughout my life until about five years ago, I would go in thinking, if this is going to be successful, I'm going to lose weight, mm. even though it had nothing to do with why I went in. And I remember at one point she said to me, the counselor said to me, what if you never lose weight? And I was so upset with her. I cannot, t- I, I mean, upset is an understatement. I, <laughs> I was really, really angry with her. And I came out super angry. And then after a few hours, I started to entertain this idea. And I thought, what if you never lose weight? What would you start doing? And I thought, well, I'd be, I'd go on that holiday and I'd go on those dates and I'd wear those bright colors and I would light those candles that I'm waiting for this elusive day when I'm going to be perfect and what happened is when I started treating myself with kindness across every area of my life that I possibly could and just peppering self-care throughout the day whenever I could little things like have a glass of water go out and get some fresh air basic stuff that for some reason I felt unworthy of unless I looked a certain way or my eating was controlled in a certain fashion all of a sudden eating and exercise habits became far easier to create in a way that was kind and actually more conducive to me losing weight. And I started losing weight far more quickly than I ever had before. And again, I was seeing this um, happening with clients at the time who I was working with in addiction, in that when they started feeling that they were worthy of kindness towards themselves, worthy of forgiveness, worthy of compassion, and worthy of speaking to themselves the same way that they would speak to someone they love, doing difficult things like changing habits became far easier. Mm. So rather than operating from a kind of self-punishing place, actually just a, a place of kindness and compassion to yourself. Yeah, because actually it it enables you to get real insight into why you're finding it hard to change and therefore create a plan of change that suits you best. Mm. Whereas if you just focus on what you're doing wrong and what's wrong with you and what's bad about your habits, you don't actually, aside from the fact it's not a very nice place to live for you in your head, it's also... Um, it's not a very effective way of gaining insight into why you're finding it difficult and therefore creating a plan that you find um, effective. So that compassionate curiosity, the curiosity you would give to a child, you know, and kind of go, hmm, why is it you're finding this difficult? How, c- how can I help you? 
that's um, a far more effective way to get stuff done. Mm. Nurturing our inner child. Yeah. I just took my inner child for a panini. I was like, it's 3 p.m., you haven't eaten. Go get some mozzarella and tomato. <laughs> I saw that. Your inner child looked like she was very much enjoying that. She panini. was enjoying it. She also <laughs> got free artichokes because the man flirted with her, so that helped. <laughs> um, when you say peppering with like small little things, what are some of the things that you do for yourself, um, the self-care things that help you kind of feel happy and balanced? I stretch in the morning. I do 10 or 15 minutes of... Um, meditation or I just sit in silence. I don't look at my phone for the first half an hour of the day. I do little things like make proper coffee. I treat myself like a guest in my home and that has been a real shift for me. I care about what I see. I care about how my morning looks even if no one else is looking. Um, I'm boundaried and uh, especially with tech, I'm I'm learning more and more that it's my choice how how much of that hecticness I want to bring into my life mm. and whether I'm going to set a precedent the same way I do with like IRL boundaries mm. um, and more and more just tiny little things you know I check up on myself like a little sort of Tamagotchi <laughs> you know <laughs> like, you a bit of water today? Today? yeah like how are you doing you know and I'm I'm more reasonable with myself the way I would be with someone else mm. I kind of think of course that stressed you out that was stressful that's okay stress is a part of life it's not so much the, the more obvious like moisturizing more slowly and uh, I mean I do that too sure but for me the most effective moisturizing more slowly is you know what I mean is that what self-help books tell you it's probably true some of them do have a bar it does and help then, yeah. yeah and it's cool some of that stuff does help but the other thing I do as I often tell people is on a Sunday night you know I'm a, I'm a single lady and Sunday nights can be a bit, um, can bring about low mood. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I live alone. And I, sometimes I book myself a karaoke booth for one and I just have a sing. Lovely. Sometimes with a latte, sometimes with a cocktail. And um, yeah, I just do little things. And also I've um, color coded my diary now and I have one color that's just for well-being and joy and there's nothing but that. I and, love that and so, so much. I, so if I see the whole week hasn't got any light green in it, that's an alert to me to be like, you're not doing anything for that isn't outcome focused. Yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah. love that. Whenever I write to-do lists, I, I split my to-do list into the different sections. So I'll have a list for payments, a list for admin, and I have a fun list on every list. So there's always a fun section, which will be things like book a hair appointment or buy that dress. And I think that helps me when I feel overwhelmed by looking at my work for the week that I have something fun that I've got to do as well. Absolutely, and I think from a motivational perspective, you know, there's, um, I think it's behavioral activation theory that we often use in psychology where <coughs> Uh, you you try and get you try and activate people's behavior essentially and I think you make a list um, of things you have to do you want to do and things you should do and very often we mix up the things we have to do with the things we should do and mm -hmm. we treat everything like an emergency so I I always try and keep a realistic idea of how many things are in each of those columns. Mm, mm, fascinating. Um, from your experience working with your clients and, and your experience from writing the book, what are some of the biggest barriers for people to change? What are some of the obstacles that they put in their way? I think self-limiting beliefs about what they are capable of. Things mm. that a lot of the time I say, you know, we haven't updated. We often don't update our core beliefs about who we are and what we're capable of the way that we do professionally mm. so professionally we might say okay you know what i worked this hard and i managed to do this and i learned how to do this software use this software and now i can command this much of a salary and i can have this many people listen to me and i'm cool with that 
Whereas when we manage to do things that give us um, a sense of resilience or accomplishment emotionally, we don't tend to sort of update how we feel about ourselves. And so you'll get people who are wildly capable, um, who are full of self-defeating, self-limiting beliefs from when they were 14, really? in their 30s and 40s. And a lot of the time when I do like corporate coaching with people and helping people who are very senior, I, I mean, I, I can't, it's, it's extraordinary and it's a credit to them how far they've come despite this constant soundtrack telling them, especially women, you know, that you're going to get caught out, you're an imposter, you're not as smart as this person. They go on Instagram and see everyone else seems to be doing great. Um, and comparing themselves to other people and losing focus in that sense. But really, if I had to bring it down to one thing, it's negative self-talk. Mm. I think that's the make or break thing. It's amazing how the things that happen to us young are so formative. You can have one or two experiences from when you're young, like 14, 15, and they stay with you forever. And you, you kind of operate from this place of believing whatever happened then is still true. Yeah. And it, it's very difficult. Do you have any advice for kind of overcoming that or any tasks or exercises that you can do? Yeah, I think putting yourself in front of a challenge. I think that's why habit change. People often come to me to, to change habits and they go away realizing that what they've changed is the conversation they're having with themselves and that's why it's a transferable skill because when you put yourself in a little bit of discomfort the volume gets turned up on the messages you're giving yourself and you can notice that you're pro I mean many people myself included before are not giving themselves the same sort of pep talk and motivational advice and common sense advice that they would give someone who they love who they want to succeed and so I would say whether it's just a tiny challenge, a little thing like I'm going to wake up 10 minutes earlier and stretch or sit in silence or journal or whatever it is, or be without my phone. As soon as we're put in a place of challenge, we get an opportunity to really hear what commands are governing our actions. And so I would suggest put, create a tiny little mission for yourself, like not looking at your phone 10 minutes in the morning. And when you get in the shower or whatever else, listen in on what you're telling yourself. Perhaps it's an emergency. I'm going to miss out on something. I can't do this. This is ridiculous. Why am I finding this so hard? And just listen in and think, if I was trying to help someone else get somewhere fast, aside from whether I care about them and think they deserve to hear something better, but if I just wanted them to achieve something, is this are these the messages that I would give them? Yeah. And so just start debating with them. I'm not a believer in, you know, I think sometimes I hear things like, just stop thinking about it or just replace that belief. I think that's a bit patronizing personally and it annoys me when people say that to be honest with you yeah, yeah. Um, I think it is about debating with it enough times so that you get used to having two voices that are kind of going hmm I'm not sure that's fair you know I'm not sure it's fair to think I can't do this when I've managed to do this 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 and this over the past few years in a bid to update them eventually mm. questioning what you're telling yourself basically yeah with curiosity with compassion without judgment I totally agree. I think when you say don't have that thought, it's it's not as easy as not thinking negative things. It's about the way in which you engage with it, how much you let it affect you. And yeah, and I think when people in positions like ours, for example, who speak openly about well-being say things like that, it annoys me because I feel like then people who can't do that feel like there's no point in any of this stuff. Mm. Um, and I just want to tell, tell everyone, like, no one can just do that. No, and then also you just feel guilty. <laughs> Because like, yeah. you had a negative thought and then you feel even worse for having one. It's really dangerous. It's quite a dangerous way to get looped into thinking that you're creating every Stuck bad thing. Stuck in the street happens. being like, I had a negative yeah, thought. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, no, it's I quite self punishing. Too much, yeah. On the topic of work and life, because we're currently in work life, um, how much have you seen people's work experience kind of 
reflect onto their personal lives. So say they're having like a negative, um, they're in a negative space with their work. Can that have a negative impact on their personal lives? And I suppose any advice for kind of detaching the two if possible? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things here. In terms of um, transferable skills, you know, a lot of us are not spending the whole day in the office anymore, etc. It's all kind of becoming a bit blurred. Mm. And I certainly know that impulse control skills that I help people with around, say, drinking or food or um, anything can help massively in terms of things like hastily responding to emails and then regretting what you said mm. or um, communication skills with the people around you, etc. So I don't, you know, I do think in that sense, personal development has come a long way and that it has, be it has become trans transferable into the workplace massively. And I think... Yeah. Um, we're realizing now that well-being in the workplace is incredibly important. Um, the other thing, of course, yeah, is being boundaried about when you're not at work anymore. I find that particularly difficult, I have to say, because I adore my work mm -hmm. and I live alone. And so I sometimes think, well, why wouldn't I do a couple more hours, you know? And I don't think we should be demonizing that either. I'm just really a believer in that if it bothers you, it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. if it doesn't, then cool. Then you're fine. Yeah, yeah I'm not about like... You shouldn't gurus. work here. Or, no, yeah. I'm just, I'm just not about that. I think we're just overwhelmed now with different approaches and what's right and what's wrong. And there are some great books, and they're all evidence based. But what does that even mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think to some extent, if the negatives are outweighing the positives, go out and do something about it. And if mm. if you're cool with the way that you're working, then do mm. it. You know, I sometimes people will say, oh, "I'm so sorry, you have to work on Sunday," and I'll be like, "I chose to. I love this. I like working on Sunday. I like the whole ritual of doing a couple of hours where I prep for the week, and I'm cool with that." Maybe if I had kids or a partner, I wouldn't be. So I think it's also about the flexibility and un feeling like you have the tools to not be beholden to a specific routine. Mm. Mm -hmm. If it comes to a point where you have to, I wouldn't feel good about some about if if all of a sudden I couldn't work on a Sunday, I'm sure I could find another way around it. You know. Yeah. 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 Flexibility. But I suppose it's like you said about checking in with yourself. Like, am I unhappy doing this? And I'm like you. I love my work, and I'll often elect on a weekend. It's like the thing I'd like to do the most, and it's amazing. To, it's a privilege to be in that place, and not everyone feels that way. But I don't feel guilty. Like perhaps I once did that. I need to have this like work-life balance and separation. I think that the modern way of working is often that they are quite integrated. And like yeah. we're cool with that. Provided you don't feel guilty then about doing the stuff that other people do on the weekend in the week. Yeah. Once you get on, I remember when I first became self-employed, I really struggled. I really, really struggled. Like if someone wanted to go for a coffee on a Thursday, I'd be like, oh, the guilt of it. It kind of reminded me of that guilt when you're at university and you think I could always be studying right now. Mm -hmm. You know, there was always something looming over me. Um, whereas now I realize, yeah, there aren't really any rules with those things provided I feel balanced I feel okay and I think when when we check in with ourselves it seems simple but it's certainly not easy to check in with how you're feeling as opposed to how just how you're thinking because mm. I think we are quite preoccupied with how it looks to others mm. what we're doing and how productive we're being etc mm. um, 
it's like having the nine to five ingrained in us Massive. and then you're having to kind of undo that work so you're going to spin later i went to yoga at 10 this morning it was like mm. one of four people in the class you know yeah. me and a couple of teenagers and i have a client at 10 p.m tonight yeah and it's it's <laughs> and it's just fine and often i think also in in this line of work is that your most important work is after work you know it might be like events or networking so you actually your structure is totally off so it's so fine to give yourself like the morning off um but it's kind of being how you feel about that as well yeah do you have any advice for um people who feel like in their professional world that they have perhaps like overbearing managers or they're finding their work setting quite stifling and anything like they can do about that yeah i think again that adjustment period you know i do um workshops on healthy tech and stuff like that and i do often get people contacting me afterwards and being like look i can be boundaried all i like but I've sat, there's an expectation here, there's a culture around me whereby I'm just not gonna do as well if I follow the rules that you're asking me to follow. Um, and I think a lot of the time it is about being open and realizing that for the most part, we're all under the same pressure. Yeah. And if you explain why you're doing things, I very, you know, reasonable people find it very difficult to push against that. And if you're just as efficient, if not more efficient, and demonstrate how that's the case in that you're able to do more focused work. For example, um, a lot of clients that I have who want to be more, more productive and not be distracted as often will have will put half an hour aside at a time and just turn all their turn everything onto airplane mode. And so people won't be able to contact them. And mm -hmm. initially they'll get annoyed, but after a while the quality of their work demonstrates why this is a good idea. Mm. And so I think in the, yeah, in the first instance, people around you may not like the change, but when they see that you're benefiting from it mm -hmm. and the quality of your work is not suffering, if anything, it's benefiting from it as well, then very often you'll notice that people around you will follow suit. No mm -hmm. one wants to be on their phone the whole time. No one loves that. Yeah, no <laughs> one's know. really enjoying it. Mm -mm. I think this, this always on culture that we have is really quite dangerous and, you know, especially work for yourself. Um, what do you do? So to kind of distance yourself from tech. So you said that first thing in the morning, you don't, don't look at my phone. Don't look at your phone for the first hour? The first, first half an hour. First half an hour. But admittedly that changes because the time I wake up changes sometimes. Um, the other, th depending on what I'm doing and what kind of mission I'm on and how much work I have done. Um, at the moment it's half an hour, yeah, which is the longest it's been so far. Um, even that is absurd. I mean, how quickly did that happen? Where yeah. that's an achievement. Mm. Um, no, but it, it's huge. I mean, it's such a problem. I woke up the other day and I got an email from America, which had like really upset me. And it was the first thing I saw. I hadn't even got out of bed yet. And it's like your mood has totally changed. Without yeah. you've, you've not done it. You've not brushed your teeth. And your mood's already off. And yeah. it's so good to create those boundaries. Well, yeah, because you're like a turtle without a shell. I mean, I remember I used to open Twitter in the morning and watch those things of like, you know, people coming back from war and their dogs jumping on them. And I'd be like, why am I sobbing? I'm sobbing. And it's not even, I haven't even showered or brushed my teeth or open my eyes. And I know some people, you know, very often will say that they engage with their phones before they engage with their partners. Mm. And um, yeah, so that's definitely one thing I do. I also create, you know, I am actually really into tech and as a, in a sociological way and the way that it's impacting us because obviously impulse control comes into it massively. And so much of my work is concerned with getting people to slow down and put steps between wanting to do things and actually following through with them. And so much of what was the current that we're swimming against is tech trying to create as few steps as possible between mm -hmm. wanting to do something and actually following through with it. And so I impose friction. I impose friction where I can 
for example, there are certain apps I have on my phone that I know I don't need in the day. So they're in like a PM folder. They become like, as Tanya Gooden, who's written, who's a tech wizard and writes about, uh, I shouldn't call her a wizard, she's a tech expert. <laughs> <laughs> I think she'd like yeah, the term she's, wizard. She's written this great book called Log Off, and she often says, you know, you should treat it like junk food. There are certain apps that are like junk food, mm -hmm. and they're delicious and they're fun, but you don't need to be engaging with them all day. Mm. Um, and if they're right there, you probably will. Yeah, like Instagram. Yeah, totally. But the other, and the other thing I do is, um, Little thing, you know, it's about bringing it into your life in a way that aligns with the other habits you want to create. For example, if I'm working late into the night um, and I've got healthy stuff in the house, whatever healthy means to me, etc. Food-wise, I know that I'm going to be wanting to grab something quickly, so I delete the Uber Eats app, <laughs> and I don't just delete it. I actually take out my card details and log out. So I've created three points of friction between wanting to do it mm. and actually going through with it. Yeah. So then I'll go in the fridge and be like, mm, if I think about it, making that stir fry is going to be quicker <laughs> than waiting for that McDonald's, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so just identifying that your motivation is going to waver throughout the day and that these apps and tech in general is being um, designed to be habit forming. And there was no precedent set as to how we should be dealing with it. No one said, hey guys, iPhones are coming. You may want to think about not using them in the morning. It just keeps happening and they keep getting better and more efficient and amazing. And I love it, but it is up to us to kind of rewind a little bit and go, hold on, now I know what I know. Do I want to reestablish the way that I engage with this stuff? Yeah, definitely. And I suppose with the unwanted habits, I think so many of us have habits related to tech that we're not even that aware of that probably are unwanted. Like, I don't want to spend as much time on Instagram before bed as I do. And that for me is like probably it's a habit that I've not even really named enough to myself. So actually like taking your time to inspect your relationship with this stuff as well. Mm. Or like, are you opening WhatsApp every two minutes? Or what WhatsApp desktop is a killer. You know, if you yeah. have it on your laptop, that's when that's when game yeah. over. So yeah, like for me, that was over. taking it off there. Yeah. You know, I kept being like, oh, well, I've got a lot of work people on WhatsApp, but no, no. Take, take that off. And red receipts, you know, the pressure. I can't tell you how many people mention WhatsApp in our coaching sessions. Really? Yeah, it comes up all the time. Like Because it's, a con it's more of a dialogue. I never get a text message anymore. Apart from like Papa John's. No, Domino. I was just going to say Domino's <laughs> yeah. text me all the time. And DW we Fitness. Miss you. <laughs> yeah, yeah we missed the gym in a while. Yeah. But by the bit, WhatsApp is this constant conversation. I think that's why people find it stressful. It doesn't really ever end. Well, especially if you're a bridesmaid, but that's for another day. <laughs> and <laughs> another groups. hateful day for me. <laughs> um, in terms of just workplace happiness um, and like connecting to your work, what have you learned about like kind of feeling fulfilled by your work and like if you've ever been in a place where you've, you've not enjoyed your work as much like what can you do about it yeah I think it's about us all being quite honest about what we're motivated motivated by and being cool with it if money motivates you that's cool fine if you know you want to be if it motivates you to be around other people me for example I used to be now that I'm better now sorry now it's different because I've got all these tools at my disposal and I'm reading about stuff constantly. So I, I can honestly say that I can motivate myself pretty quickly, but I used to need someone to like witness that I was working or else I didn't feel like I was in a working environment, you know? Yeah. So if I was by myself, I would get distracted by laundry and this and that. And I think just rather than trying to fit into a specific structure, and I appreciate that if you're nine to fiving, this is not, you, you don't have the luxury of doing this to the same extent, but I think Try and make the way you lay out your work 
day, working day, work for you in whatever way you can. You know, if there's people have rules around when you should eat lunch or when you should take a break or how long you should wait for things and or to like expectation times on res responses on emails, etc. Try and establish a way of doing things, even if it means that there's an adjustment period while the people around you get used to it, that makes you feel calm, that feels best for you. You may not have the luxury of loving your job, but you can certainly, if you hate it, think about things that you can tweak or, or even ways to remind yourself of why you're grateful to have it anyway, to some extent, and bring those to the forefront of your mind, whether you write them on a post-it and keep them in a drawer or whatever. Any opportunity you have to boost yourself on a daily basis, do it. And any opportunity you have to remind yourself of why you're doing things in the first place and how you bene you benefit from them, I think can really help. Yeah, definitely. What about goal setting? I feel like it's a big thing in, in well-being. It's talked about quite a lot. Every personal development book will have a section about setting goals. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on goals? Do you set goals? I set daily goals. Um, I wake up in the morning and I... Yeah, I spend a few minutes just writing down what I intend to get done that day. Mm. And so I know that I've externalized it and I write it down with pen because if it's on my um, phone, then I will just keep deleting and moving stuff around. I'll move my to-dos to the next day because mm. I think I technically can, etc. Are they like practical goals or are they kind of more emotional goals or things that you want to feel? They're practical goals. So work-wise, mm. I'll be like, because I like finding little chunks in the day where I can get where I can be productive as opposed to having to sit for long periods, especially at this stage in my career. So what I tend to do is kind of find little pockets in the day and then find little tasks. And they don't necessarily need to be professional as you know, as specific as write an article. They can be things like remember you need to call the bank. Things like that. And so finding little pockets in the day where I can get stuff done makes me feel quite productive, but it's also the sort of thing that if I don't externalize it, I can totally just let lapse onto the next day. I feel like goal setting is something that a lot of people find quite overwhelming, quite challenging. Do you think breaking it into small, kind of manageable chunks makes it easier to set goals? Yeah, and I think also just trust that when you do something and feel productive, you're going to get that boost that makes you want to do something else. Mm. I think a lot of the time when we're looking at a mountain of goals, it's very easy to just go, ugh, no, and do nothing. Very often when you do one thing and you tick it off, I'm sure you've had this, you'll yeah. be like, oh, okay. Doable. I'll do something else. Yeah, totally. Had it yesterday. Managed to tick off like three things and I was like, I'm on a roll. And it, I had a really productive day because of it, because it inspires you. That's the other thing. And I think when you start noticing what kinds of environments motivate you, and move that from your head into where you think you how you think you should be working and what a productive person looks like and into your body as to oh this is when I happen to be working hard like for example when I wrote the first book I I got paid to basically not work and write a book and in my head people kept asking me like oh so are you waking up early in the morning are you going to go to a cottage are you going to write your book and I was like no I'm waking up at like 10 or 11 I'm going out, I'm spending this money, it's brilliant, I've never had so much fun. And I wrote a great book because there were periods of time, like on the weekend, etc., when other people were out, when I actually really wanted to sit down and work because it was quiet, I wasn't getting any other emails, etc. And again, I know the place that I'm coming from is a different kind of very flexible luxury here, but it did enable me to kind of work out what at that time my body responded to best and the times in the day where I was my most, my most motivated. And that may not be 
um, something you're able to apply to your professional life, but it certainly is an insight you can try and gain into what are the best times to exercise, what are the best times to have conversations with difficult people in my life. You know, when we start noticing what actually makes us feel calm and makes us feel good, and again, it's simple, but it's not easy mm. if you're not used to it. Um, then you can start to st to structure a day that serves you really, and um, and that's changed now. For example, and the flexibility is really important. Like now, I do wake up really early in the morning, and the times in the day where I'm most effective are not late at night anymore. And I exercise. I never exercised before. You know, these are things. But first and foremost, I needed an honest baseline from where I was starting and it wasn't working for me for years and years and years to assume that I would just one day wake up and be the kind of person who wanted to meditate and be the kind of person who wanted to whatever. I just had to accept myself as I was and then things became a lot easier. Yeah, just starting that base of self-kindness. What have you uh, learned about exercise through the course of your journey? In interesting because I've just written, um, I've got a second book coming out and it's about weight loss and my weight loss and how I learned to stop dieting and all this stuff. And <laughs> there is a chapter on exercise. And one of the things I wrote is, you know, this, there are so many things I wish I'd known about exercise. Um, one of them is that you don't necessarily have to do exercise to start getting into exercise. Like for example, I started to swim by making myself get up, get into my swimming costume, do one lap and then go have a shower. And then I turned it into two laps. And for ages, I was doing two laps. <laughs> and so I wasn't burning any calories. For two laps. Exactly. But that's the point, is that the effort was already being put in. Mm. And so then I got used to it. I got used to getting up and doing that. And that was the hardest bit first. Mm. So I didn't then, whereas it was too much to think I'm going to get up, do that, and also swim, and also burn calories, and also measure. Them. No, I just thought, if you can get up, get out of bed, and get in that pool, you're doing more than you have done for 30 years. So I did, and um, I think those are really important um, habits. And the other thing that I learned is, you know, when I was really overweight, at one point I was trying to exercise when I was like 18, 19 stone. And I do not think that to be overweight is to be unfit. But in my case, that was absolutely the case, largely because of uh, the extent to which I was abusing myself with huge amounts of very unhealthy, undisputedly unhealthy food. Um, and just purely the fact that I was not moving my body around ever, was ever. Um, I hated exercise, and every time I felt a sense of discomfort with exercise, I would give up. If it, the emotional dis discomfort of the mirrors and, you know, it, it was a lot. And physical discomfort, I wish I had understood that pushing through the physical discomfort, I wouldn't die, basically. Mm. I would throw up. And I would think, oh, why would I ever do that again? And I, if I could go back and tell myself something, it would be like, literally just do it two or three more times and it will get easier. Yeah. But I never gave myself that chance because I thought, I must be weird. There must be something desperately wrong with me. Mm. I, why am I throwing up every time I try and do something? Um, and I guess I'm not, I don't know what I'm saying there. I'm, I don't think I want people to go out and throw up <laughs> three, no, four times in a row. But I think it's about pushing through sometimes as well and yeah. just knowing that, you know, just step by step, day by day. And there's a faith that is involved there. Mm. Like now when I speak to my clients, a lot of them will say like, how do I know this is going to get better? And the best I can say is, well, because I've spoken to thousands of people now for whom it has, it has for me. But there is a leap of faith there. 
I've never seen, you know, until the last couple of years, I'd never seen myself be able to do exercise consistently or make it part of my routine. So there was faith. I had to have faith. Yeah, totally. There's a film out on Amazon Prime called Britney Runs a Marathon. Um, and it's about a, an overweight woman running a marathon. And there's a scene in it where she just says, just one block, that's when she's starting. And she says, just one block, and, that's, and she runs one block, and that's the beginning point. And it's just putting your shoes on every day and you know, sticking with it. Yeah, I used to go to the, when I, when I started exercising, I found it so difficult to get up and go exercise that I used to go to sleep in my gym clothes. Really? Yeah. So that there was like one less thing to do. So I'd look down and be even reminded because the thought that I would even want to it. It's kind of like when you try and stop biting your nails or something. And before you know it, you bit them all off. I mm. used to bite my nails 10 years ago. And I remember thinking, God, I forgot I was even on a plan to do something. And that's how alien exercise was to, to me as a concept and having it part of my life. And for some reason, I always assumed when I was slim, I would exercise and I would love it. Um, and that has happened, but not for the reasons I thought exercise is completely completely transformed my relationship with my anxiety mm. and that's really the only reason I go I don't think it's actually helped me technically lose any weight at all really no I mean I wouldn't know and that's the point mm. I never would have thought that that would happen to me mm. it's for the me it's for your mental health more than anything that's what it does for me hugely yeah yeah definitely well, Sheree thank you so much for coming to chat to me um, you've got a new book out it's out at the moment I do. It's called The Last Diet, and it's about my journey of weight loss, and it helps people to create a way of eating that they're happy with. Amazing. And if people would like to find out more about you and follow you online, where should they go? I'm on Instagram. I've got a website. Really just put Sheru Azadi into the internet, <laughs> and <laughs> that'll be me. Is that it? Is anyone else called Sheru Azadi? I'm oh. not sure there's that many people called Sheru, to be honest with Didn't you. did your parents so. make it up? I think it's now... I'm learning that some other people have called it. There's a town called it. And my dad told me something the other day that I should remember. So I don't think it's fully made up, but I certainly know it's wildly Googleable. <laughs> so Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Thanks for listening 
to this week's episode of Work Happy. If you're looking to work happier, book your free week at any work-life space at work.life forward slash free trial. Thanks for listening and don't forget to share, subscribe, rate and review. We'll see you next time and until then, work happy. been a candy store production for work life hosted by angelica malin and produced by van connor t-shirt weather by poddington bear appears under creative commons 3.0 with podcast recording facilities in partnership with work life visit work.life for more information you can find us at candystoreproductions.co.uk mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.